Uh, we have a lot of visitors today. We are glad that you're here. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans. And uh, so as we come to chapter 5, I want to say something that might be surprising to, uh, to many of you when you hear this. But uh, one of the uh, biblical, uh, sound biblical principle of interpretation is that not everything in Scripture is written for everybody. Seems odd, doesn't it? Uh, but on the surface, this seems wrong. We do this all the time, uh, the way we operate in this life. Uh, for instance, uh, if someone is speaking on a particular subject, he needs to know his audience. And if the audience is coming to, to hear the speaker, he assumes certain things that will be said. He'll determine whether he's interested in what is being said. For, so, for instance, if you're a political science student, and you go to a, a, a lecture and you are assuming uh, that you're a professor of political science is going to be there. And then uh, Dr. Schaefer shows up, who's the head of the chemistry department, to begin to, begin to lecture. Uh, you probably won't know what the heck he's talking about. And uh, you won't be interested in it. Same thing with scriptures. Now, here's where we've been from chapter 1 to chapter 4 because we're coming to chapter 5. And I'm saying this, especially if you're visiting today. Today. From chapter 1 to chapter 4, Paul has been explaining the gospel. The gospel that basically gives us both bad news and the good news. And the bad news is if you're outside of Jesus Christ this morning, the wrath of God abides upon you. Uh, the good news is uh, it's not by works, it's not by effort that we escape the wrath of God, but it is what God has done for us in Christ. But where we come to today is the benefits of this gospel to you this morning who believe. So if you're not a believer, I'm not saying tune out that the sermon has nothing to do with you, but I, but I want you to think about the benefits that you're missing out on. Because according to the scripture, you this morning are still abiding under the wrath and curse of God. And we will we'll look at that in a moment. But for you who are, are believers to see the therefore of the gospel. And so we have it in two verses and uh, Paul proceeds to chapter 5 through 8 to talk about these benefits. So, if you would, uh, look uh, there in our text. And if you're visiting today, we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. This is the very words of God and should be read and believed. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that by your grace and by your Holy Spirit this sermon would be relevant to all. But Lord, we confess to you, apart from your spirit, we cannot hear or see your words. For these are words of life that only come from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would cause those who are here today that are not uh, believers to ponder the benefits that believers do have. And for those who are here today, especially those who are Christians who are doubting, who are struggling with assurance of salvation 
who are looking to their faith rather than faith looking to Christ. Father, at this Christmas time, would you cause them to understand their confidence is in Christ and what he's accomplished. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Uh, You might not want to know this, but if you want to know what Presbyterians believe about certain things, uh, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about the, uh, the doctrines of salvation, what we believe about the church and sacraments, what we believe about eschatology and all that other stuff, you can read the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, it lays out for us uh, uh, what we believe. And uh, in fact, I would say this, that if you read the Westminster Confession and you kind of get in your, in your system, you'll be a pretty good theologian. And, uh, but what's interesting about the Confession is uh, that there are 33 chapters and there's a, an entire chapter on the assurance of salvation. Uh, and by the way, understand this about the Confession of Faith. Uh, it was written not only by Presbyterians, it was written by four other denominations, including Baptists. And so they saw the importance of believers, on the one hand, not having a false assurance of salvation. I'm fine, I'm good, everything's good. And on the other hand, for those who are sincere believers who truly have saving faith, but wrestle with assurance, the chapter is written so we can begin to grow in the assurance of what's been accomplished on your behalf. Because I'll say this to you as believers, until you're confident of that, you will do nothing uh, in terms of being free to serve, free to love, free to be a part of each other. But there's a lot of debate about this, isn't there? Maybe you come from a tradition that does not believe in assurance of salvation. Or uh, when you hear once saved, always saved, the questions begin to go, yeah, well, wait, wait a minute, what, what about this? In fact, there is uh, one theologian of the persuasion that you can have not eternal security, but eternal insecurity, uh, says this. Some truly converted people have fallen from grace and the danger of doing so threatens every Christian. Now, that's a very, very important uh, statement. If you believe that, then it's very important that you uh, figure out how you don't lose it. Because apparently what begins with Christ ends with what you do. And there's lots of people that believe this way. There's a huge, huge denomination, I'll leave unnamed, that is very much at the heart of their their teaching is you enter into the kingdom of God through baptism and you remain in the kingdom of God by your own efforts, by works and faith, not by faith alone. Now that has all kinds of implications, does it not? On how you live your life. Because you don't have a false security. You want to go, I'm fine. I don't even know if I believe this. And if I don't believe it, then I'm secure because I don't believe it anyway. Uh, Or uh, if you have a false sense of security because, well, I asked Jesus into my life and so once saved, always saved. Well, that's not what our text is going to say. That's not what the next three chapters are going to say. But on the other hand, it's very important for you this morning who believe the gospel, but you're struggling with whether you're really saved. Uh, which is probably a good sign that you're moving toward what assurance is all about. So I want to look at that subject today. I really do. I think that's real practical. You might know what it means to rest and what Christ has, has accomplished. So let me give you the context, and then I'm going to give, give you the three points, okay? They're here. 
What is the context? Well, he's writing to Jewish and Gentile Christians who are trying to figure out, well, where, what, where, does, where, where does this all fit? Where do Jews fit in the scheme of salvation? And uh, where do the Gentiles fit? And, of course, uh, Paul starts off by saying, well, everybody's under the wrath of God. We're Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter what you are. And that God's wrath is being revealed. But Paul also, in that first couple of chapters, talks about, but you know, but now there's a righteousness that comes from God. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's chapter 3. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. What Christ has accomplished. And then for the Jews, he has to explain to them that what I'm saying is biblical in that Abraham was not justified by law because he was 400 years before the law. He was not justified because he was circumcised uh, but because he was circumcised, because God called him before he was circumcised. And Paul says, kind of concludes where he says, so that all who are saved by faith through the promised Messiah are children of Abraham. Well, when he comes to that conclusion, here's what the Jewish mindset's going to say, and not only the Jewish mindset, but maybe the majority of evangelicalism. But wait a minute, are you saying that all I have to do is believe in Christ? That's all I have to do? I mean, I, mean, I believe in Jesus and everything's good, I'm good to go? I mean, there's nothing I, there's nothing I need to do? Now, I'd like to have a nickel for every time I've, I've had people cynically ask me that question. Oh, so you believe once saved, always saved? And of course, my answer to that is Yes. And there's no greater text than this that we're going to look at that I think proves this point. But the only other option would be is no, not once saved, always saved. But at the same time, if some of you go, this is very important for you who go, well, I believe Jesus and I, I got baptized as a Methodist or Presbyterian. I'm fine. Then, but it has no net effect in your life. There's no love and joy and peace and patience in the fruit of the Spirit. Then you're probably the most deceived person in this room. Because what comes with justification and the absolute work of God is union with Christ by the Spirit and an absolutely new life. But what Paul wants to make real clear to the Jews who are going, wait a minute, our whole life, our, everything we've done has been by works. Everything, and you're saying there's nothing we do. And the answer to that is there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to add to the work of Christ. Now we say that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but here's my question to you this morning. Is that beginning to seep into, your, into the depths of your bones? Because we're going to talk about hope here at the end, and this hope in the gospel begins to move from glory to glory in your life. And if you're at the same place that you were five years ago in your marriage or ten years ago in your marriage, or you're still bitter about something. Matter of fact, I talked to somebody here recently that's still upset about a high school football game ten years ago. <laughs> Mad at the coach. I'm like, man. What about you? And as your pastor, it's my responsibility to get you on target with the right subject. And everybody should be interested in the subject. I don't care if you're Baptist or Presbyterian, Methodist, or whatever you are, or if you're non-Christian. So here, here's, the, here's what I want to say, that Paul in these two verses really nails this thing down. He's going to talk about the, the past, 
what God has done, which is to bring peace with God, that has a present value. And then he's going to talk about the present. Us as believers who have the Holy Spirit, you have access to God. Today. And then hope in God is a present reality with a future certainty that's there. Now, what, what I want to do is I want us to look at these, and then I want us to be real practical about each one of these points. And then we'll close and we'll come to communion together. The first thing to see is this, that in the present, uh, because of what's happened in the past, we have peace with God. Now, look at verse 1. If you're a Christian... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the beginning of assurance is to understand what was done before you were ever born. I I don't know what you're going to do next week. I don't know what I'm going to do next week. Probably not love God and man as I should. But if Christ has accomplished something, it's over. It's it's done. It's a past tense. Do you see that? We have peace with God if you're a believer in Christ. And you put your faith in Him. Now, it's important to understand what we mean by peace here. And I do need to say this for a moment. A lot of us think about peace. We think of peace of mind or having peace or some kind of getting some kind of peace in our lives. And, uh, And there are other places in Scripture that deal with that. For instance, as we think about uh, this past week, I, I buried my uncle uh, yesterday. Uh, the Logues lost their son on Wyatt Mitchell, who I think he was 26 years old, died of cancer. They need this peace. Uh, somebody put it this way, and maybe you're like this this morning. Uh, Someone has described losing a loved one as having an egg beater thrust into the mixing bowl of the emotions of life, of their lives. Just just churning. You don't know what to do with it. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And so in some ways, everyone is looking for peace. Now, Paul speaks of this this kind of peace in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your Uh, your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that's there. But that's not the peace he's speaking of here. The peace that Paul is speaking of here is a military term that he is no longer at war with you. Now, I need to say something to you this morning who are maybe you're not believers. You're willing to admit you're not believers. And I have great uh, admiration for people who go, I don't know if I believe any of this. But you might go, you know what? I, uh, I have peace with God. I don't have anything against Him. I kind of like God. I think he's, uh, he's cool. I think everything's, between me and God, we're good. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not a murderer. Matter of fact, you had not committed adultery like many Christians have. Um. You're a good citizen. You've run for office. And uh, you really do think you're at peace with God. Everything's fine. But you've got to understand something. That's from your side. According to the scriptures, we're talking about not you being God's enemy, but he's your enemy. You ever thought about that? 
Because you see, later, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. It says, while you were yet enemies, Christ died. And you don't think you're an enemy. And therefore, you come to church on Sunday, and you kind of kind of go, yeah, okay, I've been to church. But you're not thinking about the fact that the wrath and curse of God, if it is not deflected by the person and work of Christ, I'm telling you, is headed straight at you. Proverbs says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Uh, let me give you an example of this. I was coming home uh, from my uncle's uh, viewing on Friday night. I'm riding down the road. I'm listening to radio. It was called in radio show. There's a gal who calls in who's, who's uh, having an affair uh, to, with, with some guy that's married. And so the counselor, who's not a Christian, we're on a Christian station. This girl's very matter-of-fact going, but you know, I really think it was supposed to just be for fun but, and happiness. I mean, you know, that, that, uh, make us happy. But I'm kind of getting attached to him. So what should I do about that? And so the counselor, to her credit, who was not a Christian, said, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a second. Are you saying that doesn't bother you? And uh, she said, no. You, do, she said, so you don't have any real shame or sense of guilt? She said, no. Because my view of life is that I'm to be happy. And she, and, and she said, well, well, what about the spouse and the disconnect with her husband because you're having an affair? And she said, well, I don't think about that. And she said, well, do you think the spouse, if she knew that you were having an affair with her husband, that she would be upset? You know what her response was? Well, it didn't really matter to me. And I started thinking this is exactly what our text is saying. That many of us are just like the, the, the adulteress in our relationship, though we should be married uh, to God. But we take this attitude of, well, you know, uh, I'm just committed to my own happiness. Friends, the Bible is all about God carrying out his justice. And if, you, and if Christ is not your peace with God, if, if God has not made peace with you, trust me, whether you think you're a friend of God or not, the Bible says he, you're his enemy. But the good news for those who are believers, because Paul says, therefore, you who are in Christ, who by faith have looked to Christ, God has made peace with you. Hey, Christian, is that amazing? Because you know what? We're all sorry. And if you're not a Christian and you think Christians think that they're good people and y'all are bad people, no, the Christians are just justified sorry people. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Are you shocked at your marriage? That, that it's not, golly, what is wrong with my marriage? Well, the problem is you. So, but God is no longer at war. Now, notice he says, having been justified, he doesn't say we need to seek peace, but we have peace. We have peace. Now, what is the practical implication of that before I go to my next point? Now, here's the practical implication. If you really believe that, you're not always justifying yourself. You're basically repenting. Jeff, I appreciate what you said. I had a friend of mine one time tell me he rededicated his life about three years ago. That's when I first got to Athens. And I said, well, that's great, but you know what we believe as Reformed people? He said, what's that? And I said, every time we breathe, we need to repent. You know why? Because you don't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You don't love your neighbor yourself, neither do I. But guess what? Jesus did. And in exchange 
for his beauty and love and grace and kindness. He gets our sin and our lack of love this week. And the justice of God was carried out in Christ on your behalf. Now let me ask you, do you have that peace? If you got that peace, it kind of frees you up to go, hey, who can we go serve today? Hey, honey, let's you and I quit arguing about stuff. And let's, get, let's, go, let's go serve downtown ministries. Let's, uh, let's work with ESL. Hey, let's have some people over since we're not fighting all the time. And, and you get together and you pray together. Say, ah, oh, boy, forgive me for not being the husband. Forgive me for, not, for, forgive me for being the wife who's not the wife I should be. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's the past reality, the benefit of that. Uh, secondly, do, you, do y'all see that you're, you have peace with God? It's over with, with, with a present reality. Now we have a present reality with a future, and, and that is, uh, notice what he also says, the other benefit, the next benefit is you have access with God. Notice what he says in verse 2. Through him we have obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand. Access. Now, imagine a Jew hearing this. The whole Old Testament is about you don't have access. Uh, A lot of y'all might go, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, they seem to be a lot different. Well, you know what? They really do in, in corresponding to how God decides what the relationship's going to be. But what do you have in the Old Testament? You don't have access. Uh, God comes to Mount Sinai, right? And he gives the Ten Commandments, which some of you are trying to keep, which is going to kill you. And, uh, and he says, and so when he comes to give that covenant, the Old Covenant, and the law was good, by the way. God is good. That's why I said, if you touch this mountain where I ascend, descend, you will die. That seems very harsh. Well, well, God is very holy. And so then uh, you have later the temple worship, right? And so, I mean, the tabernacle worship. And uh, they had these different places that you could come into the tabernacle, but only the priest, the high priest, he could only come in once a year, and they tied a rope around his ankle just in case he didn't do it right. And he was struck dead that they could drag him out with going into the Holy of Holies. You go, wow, that's harsh. Well, let me ask you, are, do you, do you understand your sin in light of God who is holy and just? How can he let you enter into his presence with a sin that you have on your hands from this week? The Old Testament's no access except through what God has established and those who come by faith and what God has provided. Well, now we come to the New Testament. So imagine a Jew hearing this. Access, access right now, I have access. I can come at any time, not through some priest once a year. Well, let me tell you where we see this. Because Christ is the great high priest. Here's what benefit you have as a believer. You don't have benefit because you had a quiet time this week. You don't have benefit because you hadn't yelled at your wife in a couple of days. You don't have benefit because you, uh, you, know, you work with Ben in the downtown ministries. You have absolute access right now. You have all the benefits in the world because Christ our Lord is our Passover lamb. 2,000 years ago, 
He was crucified on your behalf. And, and, and sometimes I really do think if you, I know you all, listen, I'm your pastor, and I, we all have a lot of problems. We all struggle with stuff. But, but sometimes, you know, when you're riding down the road, instead of just thinking about, well, you know, my wife doesn't appreciate me, or my, my father has not really helped me out with school that much, or my roommate, they just, all they do is leave stuff all over everywhere. And, and you know, rather than that, go, I can't believe that I can talk to you. I can pray for my wife. I can pray for her. I have access. You see, in the book of Hebrews, the Jews were wanting to go back to the old covenant. They were wanting to go back. And, and Paul says, if you do, I mean, whoever the writer of Hebrews said, he said, if you do that, man, you're going you're gonna to miss out. You're going to miss entering in to, to this rest, which is provided by Christ. And he says this, now listen to this. Beautiful. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's uh, Hebrews chapter 10. But, but this is what he says. Beginning in verse 10. We have been made holy. He's talking to Jews who are wanting to go back to the old stuff. And you, you and I have a tendency to want to go back to other things other than the pure gospel. We've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Day after day, every priest in the Old Testament stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What was the implication of that? He goes on to say this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Do you, do you, do you see the implication of what he's saying? And we, we get petty about stuff when you have access. And let me give you two, an illustration, then let me give you an application, then I'll hit my last point. We'll be done. We'll come take the Lord's Supper. Um, access is a wonderful thing to have. If you're a member of the country club, that's, that's great. You've got access. Uh, you have the money, you have the goods, and that's good. Well, there's a country club called Sapphire, what's it called? Valley, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. And if you ride down 64, Highway 64, and I've been doing it for like 40 years, uh, there's this beautiful coal, Sapphire Valley Country Club. Now, I tried to get access to that, uh, that, that uh, course when I was in, in college. So me and my buddies, we grabbed our clubs, and we went down in the woods by that hole, waiting to sneak on. And, uh, and of course, as we were getting ready to sneak on, all of a sudden this... Uh, Security guard comes up. And, uh, of course, we're out there with our golf clubs, and he says, uh, so what are y'all planning on doing? And I said, well, we're, we're hunting for squirrels out here. <laughs> and he said, you getting smart with me? I said, no, nah, I'm not. I, you know, I, obviously, we're trying to sneak on the cars. And he said, uh, he said well, do you understand uh, that people have made, paid a lot of money? they made a lot of sacrifices. And you're going to come out there and play for free. How do you think those people feel about it? And I thought, man, you got a good point there. 
Didn't keep me from sneaking on other courses when I was in college. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, even when I could sneak on, and I have done that. By the way, that was, I was a new Christian, by the way, at that time. But <laughs> I can't lie to you. So, I'm, you know, you're out there and you're playing like this, you know. You you're feel guilty. You're kind of waiting on somebody to go, hey, what are you doing out here? And, uh, and so there's no real access except what I made for myself. And you see, when you're trying to make access into the kingdom of God and, and, and into his presence by your own efforts, by your own cost, you see, you're sneaking on. And there's no security. But this summer, when I was riding down past that, that hole, that number eight or whatever it is, par five, I told my wife, before I die, I'm going to play that golf course. I have no idea how it's going to happen. And it wasn't 30 minutes later that I get a phone call from one of our members' dad who said, hey, I heard you want to play that course. And I said, yeah. He said, you want to play tomorrow? I said, what time? <laughs> so I go play the course. And not only was I not trying to sneak on, I'm out there playing the whole course, and then he introduces me to the manager. And then the manager says, hello, Mr. Farnsworth, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> and, uh, of course, I played like a dog and it rained, but hey, you know. But I was on the course having a great time because I was with a person who got me in and gave me access. Let me tell you, you have access. Now, what is the application of that? Let me tell you what the application is. Here it is. This week, I'm riding down the road. I'm listening to the radio, which is completely fine. And then I felt like, you know, my son Robert's got exams. My son Jack's at Furman. He's got exams. I got a son who's getting married next week. My wife probably, is, probably needs me to pray for. You know what I did? I just cut the radio off. And I said, God, I know you love my children. I know you love my wife. I know you love my family. You've chosen to love my family. So would you please be with my sweet wife? Would you take care of her? And, uh, and uh, would you help my son uh, get his schoolwork done and do well? And so? Now, he might say no. They might do terrible. I don't know. But at least I can pray, right? Because God delights in answering the prayers of his people for his glory. Uh, that's, that, okay, now one last thing. So, so you see, the, pre, the past, you, you, you are in the stead because of what Christ has done. You're at peace with God. You don't have to worry about it. Now you have access. That's the present reality. You can talk to God. Go home today. Talk to Jesus. Say, Lord, I've been doubting you and your goodness. Well, here's the last thing to see from our text. And the benefit we have <coughs> is a present, uh, a, a, a hope in God, a present reality with a future certainty. Notice what he says here. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Friends, hope is always future. But the more hope you have, the more it gives you a little bit of excitement in the reality of the present. Now, I want to give you an example of that. We work with a lot of kids in neighborhoods that aren't homes. In fact, sometimes the kids will come over to our house and, and they'll, they'll go, wow, you, you like own all this. Uh, and, uh, and what's really interesting, when you're, when you're with, with these kids, when they're really, really young... Life's, you know, they, 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 they're very optimistic about life. Everything, everything's good. They don't really realize the poverty that they're in. But all, when they get to be about 13 or 14 years old, they begin to lose hope because they see the reality 
and they live without hope. Which is completely aside. That's why we need to be involved in their lives, don't we? To bring them hope. But you see, the hope that we have, though, is not like, well, I hope we go to heaven. I hope this is going to happen. Everywhere in the scripture, in the New Testament, when it talks about hope, it speaks of it being a certainty. Now, that should impact how we live our lives in the present. Matter of fact, the reason we can have hope is it says this phrase here, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Why does that give us hope? I'll tell you why it gives us hope. Because God's glory is he will keep his promise. God will keep his promises, sorry as we might be. He's not sorry. He's all powerful and he is all good and he is willing to... Anybody here this morning who wants to know free access and what it means to know hope in Christ, you can come this morning. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've lost hope, you cannot deny this passage. Oh, wow, you know, if you can lose your salvation, then you know what? You live in absolute fear. But if you have that certain hope and you're going to heaven one day and that becomes more and more reality to you, you know, you're kinder to people. You're more patient. You're believing God's going to take care of your finances. And it begins to change your behavior. So people go, well, you believe once saved, always saved, then I guess you can just go raise hell if you want to. You can just do what you, you, can look at, you can do what you want to. Look at what you want to. Do what you want to. Because you know you're already saved. No, that is not at all. It has anything to do with the glory of God. One illustration and I'm done. And I didn't ask my wife. I think you'll be okay with this one, Mary Beth. I bought you a rose the other day. I'm, okay, okay, seriously. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I was in Publix the other day. And I just started thinking she's working hard. She's having a great, you know, great attitude about the wedding and, and uh, you know, things are trucking along. And, and I just started, you know, I was just I was in Publix getting some milk or eggs or something. And I, and I walked by the flowers. And I started thinking about 32 years of marriage and got a son getting married. And God has blessed us in so many ways. And my wife has been so faithful, so good. I know, you know, I know that she's going to be faithful and, and, and gracious. And, and uh, so, you know what that made me do? Go buy a flower. I got her a rose. And, uh, of course, I, I uh, you know, brought the rose in. And I didn't get it because uh, I was in a fight with her. And that, that, that works every now and then, but not much. <laughs> but uh, so, so I come in, and I have this road in a little boss. And, uh, and so I said, hey, honey, I was thinking about you. I want to get your rose. And she said, oh, well, that's nice. She said, just put it there on the counter. And, I, and, of course, instead of going, well, I got you this rose. You know, I, she was busy. She was at the computer. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I got her the rose because I want to get her the rose. And I know she appreciates the rose. But you see... This is what it means, I think, when God is glorious to us, is that we're not going, well, I have to do this, I have to do that. You kind of want to go by the public flower stand and get him a flower. You see what I'm saying? You, you want to honor him. You, lo- you love God. You know, you love, why do you love God? Because nobody else would have died for you. But he did. Isn't that awesome? So, where's your hope? Where's your peace? Where's your comfort? What are you finding it in? You know, 
1 John 3 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know it is that it does not know Him. Dear friends, we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purifies themselves just as He is pure. Glory be to God for what he has done for us. Let's pray. God, as we come to the the Lord's Supper, we have prayed for those who do not know this glory, this certainty. Father, cause them to know the wrath in God abides upon them because you are good and you are just. But Father, cause them to look to Christ who died for us. And for we who are believers, Father, cause us to begin to be enthralled with this great hope that's certain for us and and change us from glory to glory and we ask it in your name. Amen. Let's serve in communion. uh, If you would come.